for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson, and thank you for joining me for this latest installment in our series on American antitrust. America's antitrust laws are well over a century old, born of concern with the market dominance of large trusts in the late 19th and early 20th centuries that controlled markets and commodities like oil, copper, and steel, as well as delivery modes like railroads. We've heard how the Department of Justice's antitrust division enforces these laws, but the federal government also has an agency whose primary mission is consumer protection and shares the jurisdiction for antitrust. The Federal Trade Commission was created in 1914, the same year as the Clayton Antitrust Act, and both the commission and the law are still in active use to this day. The FTC's Bureau of Competition is the commission's division charged with policing anti-competitive practice and antitrust enforcement. So as we explore this side of antitrust, I'm very pleased to be joined by my guest today. John Leibowitz had a nearly decade-long tenure at the FTC, serving as a commissioner from 2004 to 2009. He was then appointed chairman by President Obama, where he served from 2009 to 2013. During his time leading the FTC, he brought cases against both Facebook and Google, oversaw a rewrite of the guidelines for policing horizontal mergers, and I believe laid the groundwork for the way in which antitrust regulators continue to grapple with antitrust issues surrounding big tech. He is currently a private practice attorney specializing in antitrust with the firm of Davis and Polk. John Leibowitz, welcome to 14th and G. Uh, well, thank you, Dean, for those kind and undeserved uh, remarks, but I'm glad to be with you. Very much deserved. John, it strikes me that so much of the current focus on antitrust, legislative and regulatory, is aimed at and driven by these massive companies, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, that are a daily part of most Americans' lives. At the FTC, you brought early cases against some of these companies. Uh, you've continued work on these issues in private practice. I'm curious, what is your theory of the case in how Congress and regulators should approach big tech in the context of antitrust? Well, the way you look at antitrust issues under the Sherman Act and under the Clayton Act and under the FTC Act, which is actually a little bit broader than the antitrust laws, is you look to see whether a company has monopoly power, a dominant position in, in their space. And then you look to see if they engage in what's known as exclusionary conduct. Right. Bad acts is the simplest way to, to describe that. Uh, and it's generally accurate. And if a company does have a dominant position and does engage in bad acts, ones that violate the antitrust laws, then you bring a case. And uh, there's no doubt that with some of the big tech companies, they do have a dominant position. And it is clear uh, that at least the antitrust division with respect to Google and the FTC on a 3-2 vote, so, you know, reasonable people can disagree, believes that, that Facebook engaged in monopolization too. And so the charter that we use is over 100 years old at the FTC, but the law is evolving. And what we tried to do, whether it involved big tech, including in privacy violations as well, or the pharmaceutical industry, which was a big initiative of ours, very collectively done, is we tried to apply those laws. We tried to apply them vigorously to help consumers. It seems, and, and you're right, the law, of course, has to evolve. We're, we're, we're grappling with some of the same questions in, in much different contexts. And I think one of the hurdles in antitrust enforcement with big tech seems to be how you quantify consumer harm. You, you definitely have dominant positions, but you know these companies provide a lot of their services at no cost. Gmail and Facebook accounts are free. Goods delivery on Amazon is low cost and convenient. 
And I think the layperson might be forgiven for saying, yeah, they're massively large companies and maybe even some unsavory business practices, but my life is better for the services they provide. So where's the harm? Well, I think when you're dealing with uh, companies that do provide benefits, and I think all of these companies provide significant benefits, you, you have to think about what the but-for world would be in the absence of what antitrust lawyers would call exclusionary conduct or foreclosure in the absence of their allegedly anti-competitive practices. But there's no doubt that it is harder uh, when you are dealing with largely free products. So you have to look at other things, right? Or emphasize that market entry, innovation, quality, choice, whether some of the contracts foreclose uh, uh, competitors from entering the market or potential competitors from entering the market. And I was going to say, the other thing is that, yes, sometimes, and this was an issue with the Microsoft case as well, sometimes consumers don't see the harm that is happening to them. That's not unusual because they are not necessarily directly touched by all of these companies, or sometimes they are, but only in a good way and uh, in a positive way. But the job of enforcing the antitrust laws is a job of, in a non-patronizing way, looking out for the interests of competition and consumers. Yeah, the Microsoft case uh, is is obviously a seminal and an interesting one. It seemed to be set up in the uh, in the pantheon of Standard Oil and AT and T, the potential for a massive company breakup, but it it didn't fulfill that potential. But are we at a Standard Oil AT and T moment where some of these companies need to be broken up in search, in social media, online retail, app stores? I mean, viewed one way, they're certainly dominant players. But it's not hard to find robust competition in all these spaces. Well, I think it's going to be – you ask a really interesting question. I don't know if we're in quite a breakup moment, and I would say that for two reasons. One is because, for example, it's not clear what remedies the Justice Department may be asking for in its Google case. So we'll have to see what they ask for. And two, unlike in, say, Europe – where discretion, enormous discretion is given to the antitrust agency. Uh, it's known as DG Comp. It's part of the European Union. In the United States, you have to go to the courts and you have to get their buy-in. And the courts have become much more conservative in the past decades on antitrust issues. And as you know, Donald Trump appointed, I want to say, about 235 judges out of 800, including out of just over 800, including three to the Supreme Court. And so I think you're going to see an asymmetry between uh, the new antitrust aggressiveness. I think we're going to see more aggressiveness by uh, the next FTC when, when it's fully formed and by the antitrust division. Although, as you know, and you interviewed uh, former Assistant Attorney General Delrahim, uh, they were pretty active at, at the antitrust division in, in, in many ways. But there is going to be, I suspect, and we'll see, perhaps a difference of opinion on some of these cases between appellate courts and, uh, and the agencies. John, you touched on uh, work with international regulators in the EU. You actually signed a memorandum of understanding with Chinese antitrust regulators way back in 2011. Assistant Attorney Delrahim, you just referenced, has called for antitrust field offices in Beijing and Brussels. What was happening a decade ago that prompted antitrust coordination with China? And how has that international cooperation in antitrust changed since then? My first travel abroad when I was a non-chair FTC commissioner was in 2000, and I want to say five, uh, to meet with the people to, to, with the then Republican head of the antitrust division to discuss 
Beijing's rewriting of its antitrust laws to make them much more modern. And so our theory at the time, and it is a good theory, and it resulted in, I think, a better law and better cooperation than we otherwise would have had, was to engage the Chinese government to write a modern antitrust law. Now, it's not exactly the antitrust law that we Americans perhaps wanted to see. And I think there's some pretty good arguments that they have manipulated the antitrust laws for let's just say their own industrial ends. But the idea with that MOU was that we could bring them into the world of modern antitrust as they have become part of the modern economy. Right. But John, does that cooperation with international antitrust regulators, does it ever put the American government in an adverse position to American companies in foreign countries? So that's a great question, Dean. And it can sometimes but it should be when that happens, it should be, you know, in where the American government is in a position of enforcing the antitrust laws in the United States. So let me give you an example. One of our biggest issue areas from a greatest good for the greatest number of people perspective when I was at the FTC was uh, trying to stop what are known as pay for delay pharmaceutical deals, where the brand pharmaceutical paid the generic pharmaceutical rather than to enter the market, it paid them to stay out of the market. And we got a bill through the House. It became conferenced in the Affordable Care Act. It was dropped out of the Affordable Care Act because it wasn't in the Senate. And the House picked up the Senate language because Senator Kennedy died and there weren't 60 votes for cloture. And then we won a case in the Supreme Court, five to three. And we also sort of branded that term, pay for delay deals because before that, the staff was calling it reverse termination settlements, and nobody understood what that meant. Right. <laughs> uh, and my counterpart in the EU loved this idea and went after some of the same pharmaceutical companies that we did, which were both American-based pharmaceutical companies and foreign pharmaceutical companies, for violating the antitrust laws in this way. And so you might say that he was – you might say that the EU was adverse to an American company – but at least on that particular issue, the American company was adverse, uh, you know, at certainly at 100,000 feet to the position of the American government. That was a bipartisan position. It was a unanimous position on the FTC, and it was a fairly bipartisan position in Congress. And then more often than not, and I've certainly seen this happen. I certainly was involved in it when I was at the FTC and when I worked on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Very often, you can engage in a kind of antitrust diplomacy which helps to ensure that an American company isn't being treated unfairly by a foreign regulator or antitrust enforcement agency. And that's critically important, too. Interesting. John, you focused a lot of your work on mergers and acquisitions. In fact, you oversaw a rewrite of the enforcement guidance for horizontal mergers when you were chairman in 2010. Uh, a horizontal merger just being a term for a merger between companies in the same line of business, competitors right. in the same field. And now there's a lot of focus on companies buying up nascent competitors, uh, companies uh, that are maybe just startups or you've never even heard of. Uh, the classic example being Facebook's acquisition of Instagram. How have regulators changed their views on nascent competitor acquisition? And where do you draw the line on what's a completely legitimate feature of market economics? I can acquire this small fish and make it something much better. Well, so the, the Clayton Act, which is the act that is applied when an antitrust agency reviews a merger, says that the, that the agency 
should block a merger and the court should uphold the agency's request when it may substantially lessen competition. So you do essentially, you're predicting what will happen. You talk to customers, you talk potential customers, you look at effects on innovation and choice and price, and you make a determination uh, about whether this deal may substantially lessen competition. We brought some potential competition cases when I was at the FTC, one involving critically important hard fouls where we uh, where we won that case, or at least we got the parties to withdraw from their merger. Uh, it's pretty publicly reported that there was uh, quite a discussion about uh, Facebook, Instagram when I was there. At the FTC, and I do think, and I do think, one of the the benefits of developing antitrust thinking here is greater attention is going to be paid to what are known as sort of potential competition cases. That is, where a dominant company purchases an emerging competitor uh, as a way to stifle competition, rather than to build a new or better product or ensure that there's better distribution. And and in fairness, there have been a couple of cases brought um, recently. One was uh, P and G Billy involving razor blades. At the FTC, razors in P and G owns Gillette, and another was the Visa Plaid case right. at the DOJ. And I think you're going to see a lot more focus on potential competition going forward uh, with the new antitrust enforcers once they get in place. John, I asked Mr. Delrahim this question, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Uh, obviously, as we've said, FTC shares antitrust enforcement jurisdiction with the Department of Justice. It's often uh, a bit of an opaque process in terms of which agency gets the merger review. And uh, it's, it's been called a black box. There have been a lot of questions. Uh, Senator Lee, uh, in, uh, when he was chairman of the antitrust subcommittee, had legislation to sort of to streamline this process, calling it inefficient. Is it inefficient? Who decides who gets which case and ought there to be some sort of streamlining uh, of these jurisdictions? So it's, it's a good question. Long before Senator Lee was involved in this, Senator McCain was involved in this uh, when I went through my first confirmation in 2004. But look, at the end of the day, so there is some overlapping jurisdiction between the FTC and the, uh, and the DOJ. For the most part, though, you know, 95% of the deals go to the agency with the expertise. So um, if it's a hospital deal or it's a pharmaceutical merger or a conduct case involving those industries, it goes to the FTC. If it's a common carrier, like a telco or what used to be a telco is now a telco and broadband provider, it almost certainly goes to the Justice Department because the FTC uh, doesn't have jurisdiction over common carriers, airlines being another one. It hasn't since 1914, although there have been many efforts to get rid of the, what's known as the common carrier exemption. And of course, it should be gotten rid of. It's an anachronism. I would say this, and I'm glad you reminded me, I actually want to go in and talk to Senator Lee about his legislation. As long as you have adults running both agencies, and you typically do, then they work things out. We had once in a while, we had what's known as a clearance dispute, and we just worked it out with the other agency. And that's what adults do. And and so would you design, if you were starting an antitrust regime from scratch, uh, would you necessarily have two agencies with some overlapping jurisdiction? Probably not, but it is what it is, and people work through it. Now, over the last four years, or I would say since... Uh, since Macon uh, became the head of the antitrust division 
and, and Bill Barr was the attorney general and uh, Joe Simons was the FTC chair. There have been some very public adieus, and I can understand why lawmakers who do have oversight over the NHS agencies have some concern about that. But I think the process works and it should continue to work. It's, it's not perfect, but I happen to be very a big believer in the notion that at the uh, FTC, although one person does not ultimately make the decision, you have a group of five people with different expertise, two not of the president's party, who have to sit down and work things out. Right. And I think that makes for, uh, you know, you have, a, you have a built-in group of dissenters if you want to dissent. And you have the ability to come up with, I think, very good solutions to complicated consumer protection, privacy, and competition problems. Well, you're phrasing uh, adults in the room as an interesting one. There seems to be uh, a new generation of antitrust enforcer on the horizon. I'm curious your take on the antitrust setup in the Biden administration. Uh, Tim Wu is now at the National Economic Council, uh, and the president is nominating Lena Khan uh, as commissioner to the FTC. Some have derided them as the vanguard of a hipster antitrust movement. I'm not even sure what that means, but do what do these personnel decisions signal to you about how the administration is going to prioritize antitrust enforcement? Well, I think antitrust hipster means they wear berets and they have scruffy little <laughs> beards. And um, uh, so I have a lot of respect for Tim Wu, whom I've known for a long time. He worked for me at the FTC. He was a great colleague and well-respected uh, by all the commissioners, Democrat and Republican. I, I do think you're seeing a new generation of people interested in antitrust and thought leaders. And they are, I think, there's no doubt they're going to be more aggressive. Lena Khan, it is, uh, it was reported in the political yesterday in the Times today's imminent nomination. She's younger and, and she made her name for herself. I think she's in her early 30s as a person who wrote a law review article on Amazon, the Amazon, I guess the Amazon paradox, which was a, a sort of clever pun on the antitrust paradox, which was uh, Robert Bork's book 35 years ago. Right. And so I, I think we're going to see, again, I think we're going to see with uh, with the, the agencies a greater willingness to take risks, you know, roll the dice in litigation rather than taking an adequate settlement. I think we're going to see more focus, as we discussed, on uh, potential competition, also on vertical mergers. Uh, at Davis Polk, I have a matter uh, that had been sort of slowly moving through staff, not involving big tech at all, but slowly moving through uh, uh, staff up until about three weeks ago, shortly after the inauguration. And it involves a, a vertical competition issue where my client is uh, the victim of uh, a vertical foreclosure. And that is uh, moving much more rapidly now. And I think that's a sign that things are beginning to change. And so we'll see where that goes. But I do, I, look, I do think, you know, if, if you have a job like running an antitrust agency, you know, you have to make a lot of decisions every week, every day. Do I wish we had been a, a little more aggressive here or there on a particular matter? Uh, I think if I had a couple votes to, to turn around, I, I might have uh, I might have done them differently. But I think this is, uh, I, I, you know, I think this is going to be a good, I think there's going to be an era where antitrust enforcers are pushing. I think you may not be able to reach issues uh, like inequality in society, which some have tried to do under the antitrust laws. But I think vigorous application of the antitrust laws is critically important. And we will be seeing, I suspect, more of that coming to a theater near you uh, when people are confirmed. We're also going to see additional action up on the Hill. Senator Klobuchar has antitrust legislation. Uh, she's conducting the first hearings uh, at Senate Judiciary. 
Uh, we're both Senate alums. John, put your uh, put your Senate staffer hat back on. And uh, what do you see coming in that regard? And is there, I mean, I, you just look at what Mr. Cicilline and uh, Ken Buck are doing in the House. It struck me if you read the uh, if you read uh, Congressman Buck's uh, third way report, the opening is this just litany of thanks for all the bipartisan cooperation. And this is Ken Buck and signed by Matt Gates and uh, Doug Collins to to say that these are uh, Republican congressmen with uh, sincerely held beliefs would be gross understatement. This uh, seems like we could get a real regular order. Uh, bipartisan bill on antitrust. Do you see it that way? I certainly think we are going to see a lot of activity in the antitrust space this year and next. And look, there is a lot of bipartisan concern about big tech. It ranges from Elizabeth Warren to Ted Cruz. Um, uh, there are different re- to, to Donald Trump, who talked about antitrust enforcement at uh, at CPAC, CPAC last week. So I think that that makes the possibility, and you see this in the in the third way piece that Ken Buck and other Republicans uh, wrote. And I think you see it in a lot of bipartisan cooperation on the hearings that the antitrust subcommittee did. And Amy Klobuchar has introduced a very ambitious bill. It has it's sort of an omnibus bill, as you know. So it has uh, provisions that range from consensus, like authorizing more resources for the antitrust division and the FTC, I think to the very ambitious that requires sort of shifting the burden of proof to merging parties from the government, which now has the burden of proof, at least for large mergers, making monopolization cases easier to prove, undoing um, some of the, uh, some would say, cramped uh, judicial decisions uh, on antitrust over the last, uh, by the Supreme Court over the last several decades. Having said that, and you as a Senate uh, veteran know this as well, it is much easier to draft a report or introduce a piece of legislation than it is to get that uh, legislation enacted. And with every force moving forward, there's often uh, an equal force pushing back or developing. And so I think we're going to have to wait and see what parts of the Klobuchar legislation will move forward. And of course, enacting new antitrust laws will have to move through the Senate. Right, which is at 50-50, where there is still a, uh, a requirement for 60 votes for cloture. And so enacting any ambitious legislation is always uphill. But I do think there is a lot of bipartisan support for moving forward in an aggressive way. And we'll just have to see where it goes. I, I think Senator Klobuchar has started in a very intelligent way by trying to build support for what she's trying to do. At a very high level, very concerned about dominant companies in a variety of spaces and very concerned about the effects of that on society and on competition and on the welfare and the benefits to consumers. Well, obviously, a lot to come both on the legislative and regulatory fronts. And I really appreciate you joining me to break it all down. John Leibowitz, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thank you so much, Dean.